Hey, good morning, everyone. Do you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? Fantastic. Anybody lose weight? You? Attaboy, you didn't get fed, did you? <laughs> Why am I not surprised, Avery? So, you know, some people are tree huggers. I'm a neck hugger. I love hugging people's necks. But I don't get to do that this week because I've been sick for a few days. So uh, just stay away from me. I'll be up here. You guys stay there. We'll be good. We'll be good. But um, I'm normally bebopping around, hu- you know, hugging on you guys. And I'm so sorry, but uh, just a little under the weather. Um, I don't know what it sounds like out there, but in my head I feel I sound very congested. So I apologize for that. But it's, it's really good to be with you guys. It is raining outside. I love it. But it's raining inside too. It's raining inside too. God is raining down His love, His grace, His mercy, His goodness, His kindness. He rains all the time. He rains all the time. I hope that we receive what He's given to us all the time. I hope we love Jesus more today than we did yesterday. I hope. I do. I hope we just continue to fall more and more deeply in love with our God. He's so worthy of our love. We are in the book of Galatians. We started, uh, this is our third week. We had a reading service a few weeks ago. Last week we did an overview of the book of Galatians and the first five verses, the introduction um, to Galatians. We're going to be in verses 6 through 12 uh, this morning. Let me open with, uh, with this poem. It's kind of cool. It's from John... Greenleaf Whittier, a Quaker from the 1800s, he, he writes this, he says, we search the world for truth, we cull or reject, we cull the good, the true, the beautiful from graven stone and written scroll and all old lower fields of the soul and weary seekers of the best, we come back laden or burdened from our quest to find that all the sages said is in the book our mothers read. God's Word is so critical, it's so important, it's so amazing, and I hope that you continue to fall in love with the Word of God. Let's read our text this morning. I'm going to take the liberty to read the first five verses again. So we'll read verses 1 through 12. We'll do the introduction and then all the way through verse 12. Read with me, if you will, Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Thank you, Lord. To whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Verse 6, I am amazed, astonished, perplexed that you are so quickly deserting God, deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you, troubling you, and they want to distort or pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, (laughs) he's to be accursed. This is serious business. God's word. As we have said before, Paul writes, so I say it again now. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. 
For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Verse 11, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Back in 1963, a book was published called The Believer's Unbelief, A Layman's Guide Through Christian Doubts. Anybody ever have Christian doubts? Maybe it's just me. It was written by Roy Pearson, and in that book he writes this. He says, we need to go back to the Bible. We who have not read a word of it for many years, we need to buy a modern printing and translation and read the old, old word as if it were intended just for us. We are not to be surprised if it does not put an end to all of our problems. For the Bible was not intended to finish anything, but to start something. Every time we crack open God's Word, it's the beginning of something great. It's the beginning of something great. That's why I love starting new books and looking at new verses and going into new chapters. Because it's always the beginning of whatever's next for us and for our Lord. It's the beginning of great things. Let's pray. Lord, we are delighted to be with you. We are delighted to be your sons and daughters. We are thankful for the grace you extended through Jesus Christ, for the grace you extended by giving us your holy word, the gospel, the good news, that we can be in right relationship with you because of what Christ has done as foretold in the scriptures. So, Lord, we focus our attention upon you. We ask, Lord, that you would have your way with us this morning. And it's in your mighty and incredible name that we pray and everyone said, Amen. Here's our outline for this morning. Um, The deserting. You know, Paul says, I'm amazed that you're deserting the Lord when you are um, falling for a different gospel. You're actually deserting God. And so that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning is in verses 6, 7, 8, 9. And then... um, Paul talks about the striving. Do we strive to please God or do we strive to please man? And then he talks about how he received his gospel directly from Jesus Christ. Yes, Paul did not walk as the 12 disciples and 12 apostles. He did not walk with Jesus, but Jesus made himself um, available to, or appeared to Paul um, later on and uh, gave him an apostolic message, as we know. So we talked about that last week. Let me give you a summary to kind of get us up to speed as to where we're at so far in Galatians. As we discovered and discussed last week, Paul has no time for pleasantries in the introduction to his letter um, for the Galatians. The Galatians are in danger of apostasy, of, of turning their backs to God. And many have already given up some of their earlier beliefs. Paul tackles the problem immediately as he should and he wastes neither time nor words but goes right to the heart of the problem. He brands the new teaching which uh, has found its way into the Galatian churches as a new message which is really not a gospel message at all. It's not good news. It's actually horrible news. Paul warns them, the Galatian church's believers, not to believe anyone, not even an angel of God, if they preach a message different from what they heard from Paul when he was with them. Furthermore, consider this. The most destructive dangers to the church have never been atheism, pagan religions, or cults that openly deny Scripture. 
but rather supposedly Christian movements that accept so much biblical truth that their unscriptural doctrines seem relatively insignificant and harmless. But a single drop of poison in a large container is lethal. A single false teaching or false idea that in any way undercuts God's grace poisons the whole system of belief. Amen? Let's look again at verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 in Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, I'm amazed. Why would we turn from grace? I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him. God. You're deserting God who called you by the grace of Christ. You're deserting him for a different gospel, which verse 7 says is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you or troubling you and want to distort or pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he's to be accursed, harsh. Verse 9, as we have said before, I say it again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Hmm. God must take this pretty serious, and he does. Let's look um, throughout history. God has uh, devoted certain objects or individuals or groups of people to destruction. Did you know that? Look at what the Lord declared of ancient Jericho from Joshua chapter 6. Check this out. It says in the book of Joshua, the Lord said um, that the city, Jericho, shall be under the ban. It, the city, and all that belongs in it, in Jericho, belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you... Only keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel, what? Accursed and bring trouble. The same trouble we read about in Galatians 1 verse 7. Trouble on it. But if you know that story, what happened? A man named Achan from the tribe of Judah took some things that were under the ban. Oops. Consequently, as God promised, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel, against an entire nation. And Achan brought tragedy on his fellow Israelites because of it. And so Joshua 7.12 records this. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. We mess with God's word, bad things happen. And we have no victory over our enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies. They have become accursed. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things from under the ban from your midst. The Lord ended up naming that place the Valley of Achor. Achor means trouble. That's what it means. The Valley of Trouble. And so Achor means trouble and it symbolizes the destiny of those who mess with the things that God has said don't mess with. When we mess with things that God says don't mess with, it brings trouble. God says don't mess with my holy word. The New Testament speaks of two general categories of people whom God devotes to be accursed or whom God devotes to destruction. Two categories of people. Let me tell you what they are. The first one is anyone who doesn't love the Lord. 
check out 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. Pretty simple. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. May we love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second category of people who are accursed or condemned is false teachers. That's the second category. Paul twice mentions that in verses one and, uh, in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 of Galatians. Twice he says it. Jesus warned the church, his disciples, about it as well in Matthew 24, 24. Jesus warned his disciples that false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect, you and I. Hmm. It seems in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, that Paul warned the Galatian people of this very thing when he was present with them in person. Look what it says. As we have said before. He didn't write a previous letter. This is when Paul was with them physically. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. In other words, I told you this was going to happen. I warned you that this was going to happen. Turn to Acts chapter 13, verses 6 through 10. Acts 13, a little bit to your left. Acts 13. There's no better sound than that from a preacher. Hearing those pages turn. You may not even be going to Acts 13, and that's okay. It still makes me feel good inside. Thanks for doing that. You might be like taking notes or something, doing your own little Bible study, like when is that guy going to shut up? But I want you to know it still sounds fantastic. Thank you for doing that. Verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And this man, Sergius Paulus, summoned Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Paul, or Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. Oh, I wished I were there. Right? Verse 10, and he said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Wow, that's intense. Paul, in verse 10, exposes four characteristics of false teachers in verse 10. What's the first one? It says right at the beginning, you are full of deceit. A false teacher is deceitful. The second one comes right after it. You're the son of the devil. You're deceitful and you're a child of the devil. The third one comes right out after that. You're an enemy of righteousness. So you're deceitful, you're a son of the devil, and you're an enemy of righteousness. And then the last one comes at the end. You will not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. That's the, verse, that's the word we get in, in Galatians 1 verse 7 when it says distort or pervert. And so that's what a false teacher does. Or that's the characteristic of a false teacher. They're deceitful. They're children of the devil. They're enemies of righteousness. And they're perverters of the gospel. It's serious business to mess with God's word. The word distort from Galatians 1 verse 7 
is the Greek word metastrepho. And it means to turn about, to reverse, to change into an opposite character, to change for the worse. In other words, listen church, in other words, when we are not living according to God's word, then in reality we're turning away from our Lord. And and it's a change for the worse. That's what it means when we mess with God's word. When we don't adhere to God's word, we're taking a change for the worse. When the gospel is distorted, then we end up deserting the Lord, as it says um, in verse 6. Then our lives are disturbed, is what it says in verse 7, which is really not another, verse 7 says, only there are some who are disturbing you because they're distorting the gospel. And it goes back to that valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, to be disturbed. Our lives are troubled when the gospel is not correct. So that disturbed also means you know, troubled or perplexed or confused or unrested. When the gospel message is twisted, then our lives are troubled, perplexed, confused, and unrested. Hmm. It makes sense to me then. It makes sense to me that life would indeed seem troubling and confusing and unrestful as the creation, you and I, would not be in sync with the Creator as a result of a distorted gospel. Makes total sense. God's telling us how we can be at peace, how life can be straight, not crooked. And so when it is, it's because the gospel is distorted in our life somehow. As I mentioned last week from Galatians 1 verse 3. Grace leads to what? Do you remember that? Grace leads to what? Grace leads to peace. Grace leads to peace. But these Galatian believers were deserting grace. And consequently, they had no peace. And that's why they were troubled. And here's what's really cool. As we receive grace, because grace leads to peace, God has given us His graces to give us peace. That's what Paul says, grace and peace to you. As we receive peace, what are we supposed to or grace? What are we supposed to do with the grace that we receive? Extend it to others. God extends His grace to us so that we can be at peace with Him. And when we extend grace to others, it brings peace to us as well as to the recipient. Sometimes we're just a little harsh towards one another, aren't we? I know I am. I, in general, have been fighting a, what I would call a critical spirit my whole life. I can just become critical and harsh in my thoughts towards things and people. And I've gotten so much better, but it's still something. I just want to extend grace and extend grace because it brings peace to me as well as to the person I've extended it to. Church, listen. The Lord's grace is our resource for life. The Lord's grace is our resource for life. Without His grace permeating our lives, we're living under-resourced. Has anybody lived under-resourced financially besides me? Here's what it means to live under-resourced financially. It's not that I don't make enough money to pay my bills. What it means is I'm spending more money than I should. That's how it worked for me. And it just seemed like the more I made, the more I spend. And I was under-resourced. I, I, I did. I went years just, just living beyond my means. My wife and I did with our kids. And it's a horrible place to be financially. It's a horrible place to, 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 to outlive your resources, to be under-resourced financially. Multiply that by whatever factor to do that 
spiritually. If we're living under-resourced spiritually, that's a horrible place to be. We're not to live under-resourced. God is gracious and extravagant in His grace towards us. If you remember last week, one of the, some of the ways that God has resourced us uh, in His graces are His Son, Jesus Christ, who made us right with Him, who took all that stuff away from us, all that sin, all that shame. He graced us with His Holy Spirit that enlightens us and empowers us and encourages us and comforts us. He's graced us with His Word, His inerrant Word of God. He's graced us with the ability to pray directly to Him. And He's graced us with the church that we can love and care and support one another. Hmm. I pray that you're not living under-resourced in the graces of our Lord. So here's the deal. There can't be two Gospels. That's what Paul's saying to the Galatians. There can't be two Gospels, one centered in grace and the other centered in works. It can't happen. Romans 11.6 says as much when Paul writes to the Roman church. He says, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Okay. Here's ultimately what Paul, and I, I, I don't know that I know how to put this into words. I'll, I'll do the best I can. But here's what Paul wants every single one of us to know. The ugliest of us as far as you know, who we are as a person, the worst of us, and the best of us, right? Wherever, the worst of us and the best of us, wherever you want to put that, right? All of us fall short of God's glory. The best of us and the worst of us aren't good enough at all compared to perfection. If there's any flaw at all in you, which there is, then you're completely flawed. None of us are worthy of God's glory. For That's what Scripture says. For all, in the, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so when Christ died on the cross... His grace covers all of that. His perfect sacrifice of His perfect Son on the cross covers all of that stuff. And I say that because when we're not living in that grace of God, we're holding back. We're not allowing God to really be what He's supposed to be in our lives. We're thinking, I'm just still not this, and I'm just still not that, and I need to be better at this. And so then we don't have the standing in our own minds that God has given us. A standing of perfection, a standing of righteousness before our God because of what Jesus has done. And so it holds us back. Here's the deal. Do you feel unworthy at times? I I do, often. But I claim the grace of Christ on my life. Do I feel worthy to do what I'm doing here to be a pastor of this church? No. But through His grace, if, if that's what He's called me to, absolutely And I can't be ashamed of that. I take confidence in that. And I pray the same for you. That you never let the enemy lie to you and say, you're not this and you're not that. And you need to be this and you need to be that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God's grace covers all of that stuff. And never let anything become a barrier between you and God because Christ wiped all that stuff out. Oh, that excites me, and I hope it does you. I hope you're encouraged by that. God loves us and died for us, and we have access to Him, perfect access to Him, because of the perfect price paid through Christ. It's incredible. And so what's happening here is the folks at the Galatian churches are abandoning that liberty. Some of us aren't living in liberty So they're about to abandon this liberty for legalism. And they were doing it quickly, verse 6 says. 
I'm surprised that you are so quickly deserting him, Paul writes. They don't even consult Paul, their spiritual father, or give time for the Holy Spirit to teach them. They just quickly abandon. Church, we must be careful. Oh, church, we must be careful not to be lazy in our wrestling with God's truth. We must be careful not to be lazy in wrestling with the Word of God. But also not to be in a hurry or look for shortcuts in our quest for truth. I assume that I am not alone when it comes to my desire to understand the depths of God's Word and His wisdom more swiftly than is actually happening. <laughs> I'm probably not alone in that. I'm 52. I got saved at 15. For 37 years, I've just been diligently trying to get God's Word and understand His Word and His wisdom. And I, I run across people. There's some here. I mean, I, I, Bill Kahn amazes me. And I think, oh, Lord, I need to be like Bill Kahn. He just knows God's Word so much better than me. And Bruce Cook, oh, Lord, I need to be like Bruce Cook. He just knows God's Word so much better than me. But I'm diligent. I continue to learn, I continue to grow, I continue to devour God's Word, and I'm thankful for that. I think at the core, I think at the core, every person breathing desires truth. I think at the core, everybody wants to know what is and what isn't, what's right and what's not right, what's true, just tell me what's true. But sadly, we're often unwilling to invest the time to seek truth. And so we just continue to wonder. And if we're not careful, we too, like the Galatians, might quickly be deserting him. Turn to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. A little to your right after 1 and 2 Thessalonians, you'll find 1 and 2 Timothy. Second Timothy 2. Second Timothy 2, verse 15. Be what? Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Let me ask you this. Does diligent describe you when it comes to God's word? Would people say, Ryan Polk, boy, he's diligent. Bobby Rogers, wow, she's diligent. Bill McKnight, he's diligent. Would they say that about you? I may not be as gifted as Bill Kahn or Bruce Cook or probably most of you. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, dil- I'm diligent. I am. I'm diligent. I'm a stubborn old guy, I guess. I don't want to be ashamed, right? I want to present myself approved to God as a workman. How do you how are you diligent? It's just a lot of work, man, right? That's what workman means. It's just a lot of work, man. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to accurately handle this thing that's so important to our Lord and of course is important in our own lives as well. <laughs> a man once complained to Mark Twain that the Bible was and we've probably said this too. The Bible's all jumbled up, inconsistent, and filled with passages that I cannot understand. To which Mark Twain replied, I have more difficulty with the passages I do understand than with the passages I don't. 
start there. Right? But here's what's cool. It's my hope and prayer that we come to recognize that the complexities or the depths of Scripture are a blessing. They reveal just how incredible and deep and infinite our God is. And so we should revel in that fact that from now until the day I breathe my last, I'll never exhaust who God is from His Holy Word because He's infinite. And so for that, I'm thankful it keeps me hungry, it keeps me pursuing, it keeps me diligent. Mm, What a blessing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The Galatian believers weren't simply changing religions or changing churches. They were actually abandoning, deserting, or renouncing the Lord. That's what it says. Go back to Galatians. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting what? Verse 6. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him. He doesn't write, I'm amazed that you're quickly deserting our this gospel for another gospel. He's saying you're deserting God who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel. He makes those equal. Knowing the gospel and knowing the Lord are the same thing. They go hand in hand. Not knowing the gospel puts us at serious risk of deserting Him who called us. That's what it says. If we don't know the gospel, it puts us at serious risk of renouncing Him, of deserting Him. Hmm. I think it's probably somewhat safe to say that many of us have indeed at times perhaps deserted the Lord. I have. I'm sure many of you have as well. And it happens so quick, doesn't it? It happens so quick. Yet the Lord is always grace-filled when we return. God is always full of grace when we return. May we be the same to others. May we be the same to others, full of grace. Remember when the prodigal son split, squandered all of his inheritance? And he came back and dad threw him a party because dad was full of grace. How was the brother with this whole thing? Oh yeah, he was pretty lit up about it, right? Oh yeah, I'm so so glad he's back. I thought I had the room to myself. That's another story. Right? He was twisted about it. But his dad said to the son, Luke 15, verse 32, We had to celebrate and rejoice. We had no choice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live again. He was lost and has been found. Mm. Galatians 1, verse 10. The striving. Galatians 1, verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men... Or the favor of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I propose, church, that in all we do, we are either striving and seeking to please man and attain his favor, or to please God and attain his favor. I propose that everything we do falls into one of those two categories. This, these words I am seeking the favor of in Greek is patho, which means to seek approval and acceptance. When does that start? That starts at too young of an age in our culture where we're seeking the approval of our classmates at a young age. And we hear these horrific stories of what goes on for people in school. 
And then we carry that into college. Then we carry it into keeping up with the Joneses. And we go our whole life fighting this thing of pleasing man, getting the approval and the acceptance of man. We're in danger of that every day. Every day. It starts at such a young age. God help us. In reality, it's not Paul, but the false teacher who is the man pleaser. Paul reveals as much in Galatians chapter 6, verse 12. Turn there really quick. It's just a few pages over, right? Galatians 6, verse 12. It's the false teacher. Did I say Galatians 6, 12? I'm in the wrong book. I turned all the way over to Ephesians. That doesn't look like it. It's the false teacher that wants to do things to please man. Look at what it says in verse 12. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to live by the law to be circumcised. Why? Simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they can please man. I don't want to deal with those men. They're not interested in pleasing God. They're interested in pleasing man. But let's take a look at Paul's resume for who he wants to please and the things he's willing to go through to please God. Check out 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 29. Just a smidge to your left. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 29. This is Paul's resume of what he's willing to do in order to please Christ. Paul writes to the church at Corinth five times, five I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Does anybody know why it was 39? Because when you got to 40, they considered that 40 lashes would actually kill a person. So they stopped at 39 out of grace. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of me of being concerned for all the churches, like the churches at Galatia. Who is weak without my being weak, Paul writes. Who was led into sin without my intense concern? Paul's not a man pleaser. He's a God pleaser. And he was willing to pay the price no matter what it took. Wow. Paul's ministry, Galatians 1.1, tells us that his ministry did not come from man but from God. Galatians 1.12 tells us that his message came from God and not from man. Paul, unlike the false teachers who point to self, Paul always points to Christ. Always, always, always. The servant of God, listen church, if you consider yourself a servant of God, a man of God, a woman of God, the servant of God is constantly under temptation. We're constantly under temptation to compromise in order to attract and to please men or mankind. Paul only wanted the approval of Christ. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just a few pages from where we were. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, 9, and 10. We are of good courage, Paul writes. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body. In other words, be dead and be at home with the Lord. 
Therefore, we also have as our ambition. Hmm. Are you ambitious? It's okay to be ambitious. We've got to make sure we're ambitious for the right things. Right? I was ambitious for a lot of not right things. Therefore, he writes, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, meaning whether alive or dead, what? My ambition, Paul writes, is to be pleasing to the Lord. For we, we must all, each one of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Give this question some serious consideration. Give this question some serious consideration. How much of our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our concerns are centered around the Lord and how we can be pleasing to Him? And then, of course, the opposite. How much is not centered upon the Lord and how we can be pleasing to Him? It's a pretty heavy question, isn't it? Lastly, verses 11 and 12 in the book of Galatians, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1. For I would have you to know that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Judaizers had attacked Paul's credentials since he was not one of the twelve disciples or apostles of Jesus. But God had chosen to reveal himself in a different way to Paul. Paul did not invent the gospel, nor did he receive it from men, but he received the gospel directly from Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9, which I mentioned last week. Both his message and his ministry were divinely given by Jesus for us. Anybody who added anything to Paul's gospel was in danger of divine judgment. We're going to close with these verses. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 1 through 11. Starting at verse 1, Paul writes, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved. If, if, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, Unless, of course, you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received from Christ, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than five hundred, most of whom remain until now, but some have died or fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me, Paul writes. And what does he say? This just gets, this just gets me. Paul says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But what does verse 10 say? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Tony Cook, by the grace of God, you are what you are. Jeanette, by the grace of God, you are what you are. It's perfect in the eyes of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove in vain. 
but I labored even more in response. He wanted to work and please God. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, the matter, we preach and you believed and got saved. Oh, God's word is so good. God loves us so much. His grace runs so deep. Let me pray. And when I'm done, of course, our prayer team is available to uh, my left over here in the corner. Um, It's really good to be with you guys. I'm so uh, happy to see you. Sorry I can't hug your neck. Um, Enjoy the rest of the day. Let me pray. God, we are overflowing with gratitude. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love and your patience, Lord. Thank you that you just continue to pursue us, Lord, even though at times, Lord, we desert you. God, help us to be diligent in your word. Thank you, Lord, that in our lifetime we can never exhaust the depths of your word. But gosh, we can continue to know you and love you and serve you and be moved by you and changed by you. Lord, begin today what you desire to begin with each one of us. It's in your mighty and incredible and holy name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Have a good weekend, you guys. Good to see you.